This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation. And those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles in Risk. My name is Nick Lamparelli. Today, my co-host is Tony Kenyus, who's on the webcam blowing his nose and coughing, trying to heal himself from a cold. Tony, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I feel much better, but my nose is still runny. It's been a week. I'm being I'm going through a box of pudding a day. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're better. Tony has agreed to uh, put his phone on mute every time he has to blow his nose, so so our uh, listeners don't get infected. We appreciate that, Tony. We we have a special guest on Profiles and Risk this week. We have Jeremy Reddig, who's a claims adjuster and consultant, entrepreneur, and investor. And we're going to be talking about all of those things in this particular podcast. Jeremy, welcome to Profiles and Risk. Nick, Tony, great to be here. Great to be a part of this party. To get this kick started, I'm going to read something because uh, I've never read anything like this before. So, quote, I was never formally educated. I'm not very talented. And my IQ is average at best. I was too small for football, too slow for soccer, and too anxious for baseball. I haven't been very lucky. I rarely caught a break and still have never been given anything for free. I was raised by pessimism, subconsciously taught to fail, and expected to achieve a standard level of mediocrity. Jeremy, you wrote that, and so my first question to you is, what are you hiding from us? (laughs) Oh, man, I'm not not hiding anything. You know, I I wrote that. Oddly enough, uh, a lot of people have really enjoyed that uh, intro. And aside from just a a couple edits, I really just wrote that completely off the cuff, you know, and it's just, it, it, it's really what the the point that I'm in, in my life. And I attribute a lot, I attribute it a lot to the insurance industry as, as odd as that sounds is, you know, I've was not a very positive person for, a lot of my life and not so much by choice, but that's just how I was brought up. It's just uh, brought up with a level of mediocrity and to be quote happy with, uh, with what you got, you know? And after a while, you know, I I began to identify that I'm not happy. You know, I, I have what I'm supposed to have according to everybody else, but I'm not happy. So, and that's what, after identifying that, that's what, really helped me. And I think it helps. I, I think this carries over to everybody else. That's what helps everyone start to push themselves forward is, is starting to see, starting to identify that you're stuck and you're stuck there because everybody else is stuck there. So everybody else is going to rationalize and, and make sense of why it's okay to not be moving forward with your life. So a few years ago, uh, a couple more than a few at this point, you know, I began working on getting myself out of that. And and just like in that in, in that little short intro, I, I I wasn't born a genius. You know, I'm not I'm not Elon. You know, I'm not Zuck. I'm not any of these guys that have these groundbreaking ideas that you know are that that socially just you know explode. But I, I work hard. You know, I, I overcompensate with uh, my work ethic, and if and, and I'm a firm believer that the, the harder you work and the, and the more value that you can bring to other people, the ha- more happiness that you're going to find in your life. Yeah. You know, so you know, and I'm uh, and I, I will, I, I won't shy away from acknowledging you know all those little uh, faults about myself because, you know, it's the faults that make up who, who you are and, and as successful as you are, you know? Well, it's, it's a great message. And the lesson, I think, is that this is – I think this is most people. You know, as I'm reading this, this could apply to me. Uh, I think, you know, there aren't uh, – you know, if, if 
I, I think that folks that try to model themselves after Musk or Zuckerberg or Jobs or Gates are making a very big mistake uh, because they're they're the one percent, right? They're the yeah. that's they're the odd ducks, and and you know even even they have to work really really hard. So just being a genius doesn't help. But I I, I like what you did here, and and I hope throughout the course of this particular podcast we can go into details. You can help us with you know the the, the path that you took. You know how did you bounce yourself out of that um, and get into. Um, you know, adjusting to six figures and, and be the successful person you are. So, you know, uh, my next question to you would be, um, who, who, what do you do, you know, to, to walk us through why you're on this podcast, what, you know, how, what you do day to day and, um, and, and perhaps you can, um, you know, slip in how I, I'm assuming that a lot of your, your turnaround, a lot of what you had to do to become successful has manifested itself in your entrepreneurial activities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, on a day to day basis, man, I'm, 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 I'm like a fugitive, you know, I'm constantly moving. I can't stay, I can't stay in the same place. Once, once I figure out I'm, I'm sitting in the same place, you know, I, I get anxious and I, I got to move. I got to do something else. I, I, I've learned to, I've learned this, I've had arguments about this, but I'm a firm believer that if, if you start to feel comfortable in whatever you're doing, that's it. You're dead. <laughs> once you get, once you find that, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, I, I like going to the islands like the next guy and, and lounging out with a Corona and just sitting on the beach, listening to some music. I love it. But professionally speaking, once you begin to get comfortable in what you're doing, the, the growth has become stagnant. That's it. You know, if you guys begin getting comfortable with uh, podcasting, you're, you're not taking on any more challenges. You know, uh, if it's, it's finding that uncomfortability. It's finding that struggles, doing that thing that your body doesn't want to do, whether, whether it's professionally, physically, whatever it is. You, you need to lift that extra weight in order to tear that muscle, to, you know, to build. Um, so on a day to day, I, I I'm constantly, constantly moving and doing different things today. I'm on a podcast with you after this, I have to make a series of, of phone calls. I, I, I really don't want to make, <laughs> and then I, and then I've got to work on a curriculum. I'm a high school dropout working on a curriculum. How does that make sense? So it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's constant movement. It, it, it's constant that, that healthy level of anxiety as soon as you wake up that that reminds you that you need to get moving that you need to keep moving towards your success whatever that whatever that success is whatever you define it to be you need to keep moving towards that and and it's it's that constant reminder that keeps you off the couch you know it keeps you out of the yeah. kitchen it keeps you away from the bar for the most part you know yeah, well, well, the, the the part that I didn't read from your LinkedIn profile, I'll, let me read it now because you've basically touched on it. Uh, okay. While they slept in, I prepared for them to wake. When they clocked out, I started a new pot. While they drank with friends, I sharpened my saw. While they watched television, I watched seminars. When they complained, I felt nothing. And and that resonates with me because I remember I can remember specific moments. Um, in high school and college, uh, when I was in college, I can remember a very specific moment where um, everyone else was partying. There was, you know, a bunch of big parties going on. It was like day after day after day, and I was studying for finals. And this social pressure for me to go to the party was immense. Like it took every ounce of energy it took for me to say no. I I really need to study, and. To me, success is those are those small decisions. It's it's that it's you know it those things accumulate over time, and it sounds as though y you have uh, you know a similar message that it's it's those small things, it's the constant those small activities that are const that help you to constantly improve yourself. Uh, absolutely, I mean it's we we've grown. I, I think it's just human nature that we 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 look for the immediate result, you know, that that's why most of us are not in the shape 
physically that, that we want to be in because we go to the gym for 30, 45 minutes, we get out and the, the six, I, the six pack's not there. You know, I, I thought that's what you needed to do. Go exercise a couple times and it shows up. We look for that immediate result. So when you, when you transition that over to business, uh, whatever it is, whether it's insurance or other, it's this or, or school, it's deciding not to go out, not to subject yourself to that immediate though temporary stimulation. It's deciding to stay in and to work on your craft and to get better at whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're, if you're selling policies, it's to sit and listen to a seminar at nine o'clock at night on a Friday while you're getting text messages, you know, it's doing whatever you can to get better. You know, I think it's, um, I don't know who said it. I, I just saw a Gary Vaynerchuk meme on, it. you know, pay for it, pay for it today. So you don't have to pay for it tomorrow. Gary v- and, <laughs> and it's, and it's tough. It's, it's socially tough when, when friends of yours that, you know, you, you generally enjoy hanging out with or go having a great time. They want you to be a part of it, but you got to make, you got to make the big boy or big girl decision and say, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move up to something bigger, you know, like Gary V has, uh, if you follow me, it's buying the, the jets. That's his, that's his yep. up, big, big goal, you know? And, you know, we should all have that because otherwise what's keeping us from just, you know, checking out and, and hitting the bar, you know, going on a vacation, even though, you know, what did you really do to deserve, you know, you're low on cash anyway. And what did you really do? What do you have planned in the future? Nothing. You know? Yeah, exactly. Tony, before you go, uh, as a, as a, as a Patriots fan, uh, my only concern oh. about the New York Jets <laughs> is that Gary V buys the New York Jets because otherwise, uh, I hope he never does because that's two easy wins every single year. Go, Tony. <laughs> so I, I, I'm assuming we're, we're, we're talking baseball here or basketball. Uh, <laughs> oh, Tony. Uh, any, anyway, <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, you, you, you know me. Uh, okay. So, so I was going to say that I, I think it's very important for, for, for the listeners, uh, especially for the younger ones. Uh, there is no such thing as an overnight success. Uh, anything that looks like an overnight success, somebody has put in a lot of time and effort. Uh, for, for example, like uh, our thing here with, with, with INS nerds or insurance nerds, uh, you know, Carly and I put immense effort into getting our CPCUs, getting our, our, our MBAs. Uh, Nick put 20 years into, into becoming an insurance expert. Uh, and then we spent five uh, building what has now become INS Nerds. And it's only in the last year, maybe the last six months, where finally it, it's really like getting noticed yeah. in the industry. Uh, but, but yeah, and, and people, people think, oh, this crazy guy came out of nowhere. All of a sudden he, he has all, all this attention and success. It, 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 it's taking years yeah. and years. It's, you know, the, before success comes, you know, it's, it's, what is it? It's stubbornness. You, you just don't, everybody tells you it's not working out. How much, how much more money <laughs> are you going to spend on this thing? I mean, come on, you cut your losses here, you know, and it's, it's obsessiveness. It's just continuously going after this same thing after everybody's just lost faith in you. And they say, this guy, Tony, man, somebody's got to talk to him. It's not working out. And then a few years pass and then things start to pick up. Then all, all those same people, then they're asking you, well, you know, what are you, what are you doing? How, how, how do I get involved in what you did there? I want to do what you did, you know, give me the crash course on, you know, and. Jeremy, Jeremy are you, are you a millennial? I am. Yes. Yeah. 29. Okay. So, so I, I see two. Oh, wow. You're really young. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I see two kinds of uh, personal characteristics, personalities when it comes to millennials. Um, okay. You know, they're, I think overall their, their social um, consciousness is, is really endemic throughout. You know, they, there's a, you know, I, I talked to my daughter and, and she, you know, she talks about how like, there's no bullying, like physical bullying in school. It's now, it's now like done online. But when I was a yeah. kid going through high school, you know, freshman year, I was petrified, you know, going in and getting my book stomped and kids picking on you, like That's physical, it. the yeah. physical part of it was always there. So I, I like that part of it. But I think when it comes to their professional lives, 
that that mission causes a lot of problems in in their professional lives because I see people like you that are you know can imagine the long term. But I think a bigger part of it, and I think Tony Carly and I are going to go get into this in our next in uh, our next book. I'll be participating in that as well in career development. Is that um, they are not they are not willing. A lot of them, not all of them. There's a there's a good chunk of them that are not willing to put in that extra time because they don't see the immediate social benefit. Of it, Correct. they don't yeah. want to spend Tony. They don't want to spend two years in the call center, knowing that there could be another ten years where they're actually making a difference. I, they want to make the difference now. They're bored. I, I, I see it all the time. It's it, it's up to us to to really paint that picture, to really paint uh, the what the future looks like. If you give me a couple of good call center years, and during those years you get your AIC, you get your your AINS, you get your CPCO. Uh, this is the steps, and this is what they look like. This is what you have to do to get there. And this is the difference that you're making at the call center. If we make that explicit on a normal day-by-day sure. basis. Sure. No, no, I completely agree. But I'm just saying that, that, I mean, that's why INS Nerds exists, right? That's why you guys wrote the book. That's why there's uh, some more uh, upcoming news coming out of INS Nerds that's going to be really positive uh, for this particular industry, but I, I, my question to Jeremy is that, you know, what's how how do how do you do that? How what what are we? Uh, you know, you're interacting with a lot of these folks every day. What is your advice to them to establish that career? Um, to you know, I, I have a question to you in the agenda, which is, you know, would you how would you recommend uh, adjusting? Uh, to someone that's like, let's say, coming out of high school or college, how do you how do you give them that message to be patient? You know, how do you do it, Jeremy? Well, my my portion of the industry is slightly slightly different. Um, be me being an independent insurance adjuster, um, property adjuster, our kind of metrics are a little bit different in that. We're essentially, we're 1099. We're freelancers, independent contractors. So, you know, in a way, we're the temps of the uh, adjustment, you know, claim side. So, but regardless of that, it's still insurance. It's still known, it, it, it still has that untrustworthy appearance that you touch on a little bit in your book, Tony. Um, you know, it's not sexy. Who wants to get involved in insurance? You know, well, it's well, Jeremy, you mentioned your 1099 for those that are listening that don't understand it. It's essentially you get paid by project. You, you don't get, if you don't do the project, you don't get paid and you have to take care of all of your own financial responsibilities. So again, right. I would, I would throw it back at you that that's scary. And that means you have no book of business. You have nothing on day one. You have to build your own book. How do you remain patient um, through that? That must be incredibly stressful um, knowing that on day one you have, you have no income coming in. It's all up to you. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it's especially – this is one of the, the hardest thing that I um, have – in my teachings to the, to the people who I train, it's that not, not only do you not see the money up front, but you are also typically, you're also waiting for the company that you're working for to get paid by the insurance carrier before you get paid. So if you're, if you're just starting out and, and you got your first claim, somebody, somebody was dumb enough to give you a claim and you got that and you <laughs> went out there you checked it out. Everything's great. Money in the bank. You submit it to the company you're working for. In a couple days, they'll, they'll have it reviewed and sent up to the insurance carrier. Hopefully, there's no problems. They're not getting somebody else involved. There's no contractor involved, no public adjuster, and this and that. But it's still going to take – you're still having to send out a settlement to that insured, and, the, and that insured is going to have to cash that check, claim closed, and before the carrier pays the bill to the claims company who contracted you, who then gets you on the next pay scale, hopefully assuming that their payroll department is, is operating fine. So 
it, it wouldn't be unheard of for a claim you did on August 1st to be in your bank sometime, you know, it's sometime during September. And that's really hard to, to convince somebody of. And, and never mind the fact that, like what you just mentioned, being a 1099 independent contractor, absorbing all of the expenses yourself before you get paid, and then that level of instability where you're not uh, exactly sure where your next paycheck's going to come from, there's no security in it. That's very hard to press on uh, on somebody interested in possibly becoming an independent insurance adjuster. And what I but my thing is what and what I push on to the people who I train, especially particularly those who don't have any experience in business themselves or any freelancing or anything like that, is that there's no security in anything. There's no 100% security in anything. It's yep. risk. Yep. Even if even if you're collecting a, a, a decent salary from a company, they're not giving you a promise that you're going to collect this forever. I mean, you could have a contract, but and that contract could be broken, and then you can fight over that later. But there's no there there's no definite free meal for the rest of your life. It's not going to happen. Whether that, it's that, that is that is such an important point. Uh, there is no such thing as lifetime employment. There is no such thing as corporate loyalty. Exactly. You have okay. to. It, even if you're a full employee, not a temp, and not a 1099, yeah. you, you have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, I, I, had, I, I was recruited out of Nationwide Insurance where I was very happy to, to, to work for American Modern. Uh, they went out of their way to, to, to find me on LinkedIn and recruit me. I did a fantastic job for them. 14 months later, they, they downsized me because of a, of a change in management, and they, they no yep. longer needed somebody in Northern California where I was at. And that's it. Like, they treated me really well, and, and, and they, they gave me a, a fair severance package. But 14 months, like barely over a year after they recruited me out, uh, yep. you just never know. You, and, and, and in today's day and age, that's, that's one of the big reasons finance nerds exist, is, is to help you have the tool so that you're ready when – that happens. Exactly. You, you touch on it in insurance tomorrow. You have the, and, and correct me if, I, if, if I'm uh, uh, recalling this incorrectly, but you had the baby boomers, all right, that believed in getting, finding that job, finding that security and holding on to it, you know, and later a, as time progressed, some, you know, especially with, I mean, you had the, the financial collapse and whatnot, but as time progressed, some of those baby boomers were let go, and they had nothing. So you went from a stable income to nothing. Hopefully, you got a severance package. Hopefully, you got a pension back then, but you're ultimately left with nothing. So yeah. relay that to independent contracting or just especially like freelancing where you have multiple different clients, all right? And, and, and let's think about security. If you're an independent adjuster and you're doing what I uh, profess in and having multiple different streams, multiple different clients that you're working for, you might be working for a state farm. You might be working with a Liberty Mutual. You might be working for, you know, five, six, seven insurance carriers at a single time. You're not collecting huge checks maybe from each individual one, but you're collecting a little here, collecting a little bit of there, collecting there. And there's so many other parties involved. Uh, you're diversified, yeah. So you're working for Tony's Claims Service, right? And Tony's Claims Service, they got a contract with, uh, you know, auto owners, all right? Well, some back-end stuff happened. The contract's done. They, they, they severed the relationship. You know, Tony hired some bad adjusters. They're done with you. And, and, and now I have to pay for that. Now I'm not, I'm not receiving any more work from you. Well, guess what, man? I got six others that are paying me. I could do I could do this until yep. I can't do it anymore. That's that's that, security. That kind of, yeah, that kind of diversification giving you security is something that you just can't have as a W two employee. You know, I I mm-hmm. I, I have a day job uh, for a large insurance carrier as an underwriter, and that's you know ninety five percent of my income, if not more. Uh, and I it's very hard to diversify. Very very yeah. hard. It's tough. It's it, absolutely. Well, let's let's go into your entrepreneur entrepreneurial activity. So, you know, we you are a claims adjuster and you're also CEO and co-founder of Adjusting to Six Figures. Could you 
let us know a little bit what is adjusting to six figures. Um, how did that start? Yeah, it's adjusting to six figures dot com. It's uh, it's it's my educational startup, and um, it, it's it's a scaled manifestation of you know a, a year's worth of a year or so's worth of in person training that I've that I've done. I started training some people here in my home state, uh, New Jersey. After I did before reading your book, before actually looking at an ounce of statistics, or. Uh, you know, I identified that there's a that there's a workforce crisis, at least as far as independent insurance adjusters in the state of New Jersey. That became completely clear because I just kept getting work. I couldn't get I, I denied more work than I was able to accept, and, and and not only that, but I understood that I I was making an incredible amount of money. I was making more money than I had made doing anything else. You know, I became, I, I can't say this for sure, but the the highest, h- higher paid, if not highest paid person in my family. Um, can't confirm that, but by the appearances I am. And a lot of other people, you know, end up I, identifying that and, you know, they, they want to talk about, you know, what I do. But so I, I in a way, became... I wanted to do something else other than just inspect claims all day. Uh, so I, I wanted to get some more people involved because I felt like just just like that uh, LinkedIn biography, I felt like if I could do it, anybody could do it. As I found out, not everybody can do it. But, okay, um, so, so that's a good that's a good transitional point. That's important. Uh, yeah. What? <laughs> What's the difference? And this this probably is a good segue into you know what type of personality traits make a good claims adjuster versus the opposite. Yeah. Well, I'll tell so you. It, I, it, it doesn't. Hold on. It, it doesn't take a college degree. It doesn't even take a high school degree. So what? Which for most of the industry, it takes a college degree to get in. So what does it take to be successful as an independent adjuster? As, well, first I want to kind of put a little disclaimer on what I just said, that it's not for everybody. What, what I really want to say, everybody has the potential to do it. Everyone has the potential within them to become an independent insurance adjuster, to become whatever they want to do. The potential is there. The question is whether or not you're in the right mindset to take on the responsibilities, to take on the struggles, you know, if you have enough emotional intelligence to be able to get into whatever you're doing. As far as independent insurance adjusting, you need to, the personality that you need to have, you you have to be, you have to be a salesperson first. And we're all salesperson people, right? At at the end of the day, we're all salespeople. We all want what we want and we do what we can to go and get it. So to be a good independent insurance adjuster, I mean, you, you need to be willing, you need to be able to talk to somebody, to get their trust, to get them to like you. Nobody wants to work with anybody that they don't like unless they have to. And then they're going to find a a quick exit strategy out of there. So in order to be good, so in order to succeed as an adjuster, you you need to be able to communicate. And that communication is not only with the people who are going to contract you out and give you that work, but it's going to be with the policyholders that you encounter. If you don't gain the trust of that policyholder, it doesn't matter how good you are technically at your job. That person will be, that policyholder will be a hurdle in your success. They're going to be a hurdle in closing the claim. You're going to struggle closing that claim because they're convinced that you don't know what you're talking about, that you're underqualified, undereducated, and you're not giving them the money that they deserve at that point. Completely, and and you brought up a good point, uh, communication, and I I never really thought of it that way with a claims adjuster, but that's essentially what you're doing, and they don't unless you take communications in college, they don't teach you that. So no, it's yeah. So it's, yeah, it's so if that's problem. if that's like the one of the most important personality traits is just being able to communicate then then you're right then it's uh adjusting is potentially for everybody um but 
you know, what, what other skill sets are required. I, I would imagine that there's, uh, you know, a bit of empathy as well, being able to Absolutely. put yourself in the shoes of someone that just had potentially something devastating happen to them. Can you talk about yeah, that? And that, and, and that goes, that goes into the communication thing. You know, what, what I've noticed and what I press upon the guys I've trained and, and, and it's definitely going to be ingrained in, in my future courses on adjustingsixfigures.com it's understanding. It's not trying to rationalize with a policyholder. It's not trying to tell a policyholder when you're looking at their damage about all the other damage that that they had seen and, and that you might have seen in your lifetime. I can't tell you how many times I've went into a completely devastated house and spoke with a policyholder that's just like a cucumber, man, just cool, you know, just like taking it in, like, man, these sort of things happen, whatever you could do, you know, I just want to get back in there. While I've also gone in and, and have communicated with a policyholder that is just completely her, his or her head has blown off completely. They don't know what's going on. The, the, there could be mold all over this house right now. That we had a claim back in Sandy, and and it went south. We, we I don't trust you right off the bat, and and, and this isn't going to work. And it's just it's understanding that you you have to sit and listen, listen to what they're saying. Most of the time, they just want validation that they've been done wrong in the past, and they want validation in the purpose of that claim. And a lot of guys go out there. And, and the communication drop begins when they don't have time to listen. They don't have time to listen to their past claim because it wasn't, they weren't involved, so they don't care. And they don't have enough empathy to understand that this person might not have the knowledge of construction that the adjuster does. And that person does have fears. The, the policyholder does have fears, and it's to be understanding of those fears. And... And to be able to do that, to get inside of a house and listen to someone, regardless whether you think they're right or wrong, to hear all of their concerns and fears and to empathize with them, that's how you begin to establish that trust. That's how you get that policyholder to like you. It doesn't matter how good you are at estimating or interpretation of the policy or anything. At that point, I mean, that stuff obviously does matter. But at that point, being inside of that house, the number one the number one task is gaining that trust. And, and adjusting the six figures, the whole idea is not just how to close claims. The idea is how to close claims at a volume that's going to get you into those higher, higher dollar amounts by the end of the year. And you don't get to that higher dollar amount fussing over the same silly claim for several days, weeks, or even potentially months at a time so, because of let, a lack of communication. Let, so let, 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 let's let's talk turkey. So what a so high dollar amount. How much can a an independent adjuster uh, make if if they know what they're what they're doing? Are if we they know what like an eighty thousand dollar a year? Or are we talking sixty? You could you no no as an independent you you could go over. I mean, it's tough because it comes down to how much of your life you're willing to sacrifice on it. We're we're paid per per project. So there's a few different uh, factors that go involved. If I, and, and preface this, I'm crazy. I'll sacrifice it. <laughs> or at least I, I would have sacrificed it all for a dollar amount. Last year, if it wasn't for, um, if it wasn't for a little bit of time where I digressed a little bit, that I pulled back, I could have cleared over 400. Anybody. 400. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Gross, wait, gross. Wait, before expenses, wait. before okay. tax, and all of that. For I mean, you, you break out the calculators. It, it it makes total sense. On a single claim, you work a single claim. All right. Um, average pay you'll collect could be somewhere between two hundred and two fifty. That's what you take. That's before tax. That's before your gas. That's before all that sort of stuff. Now that two two fifty, that's kind of that's leaning more towards a very simple claim. All right, you walked okay. in, 
uh, the, the, the drainage pipe on the second floor bathroom leaked. And it damaged the ceiling in the foyer below it. And it kind of got on the um, wall nearby. So you're replacing some drywall, painting it up. Maybe that ceiling once contained. You got a $2,500 estimate, something like that. All right, you set it up. You'll get, depending on the claims company and the carrier you're working for, you're getting about $200 to $250, right? Okay. Okay. Once you know what you're doing, assume that it took you. That's like 2,000 claims a year to to get to 400,000. Yeah, man. Now, now, now let's, let's scale it. So it took you about, assume about 30 minutes to get out there. All right. Now, again, this all depends on how much of a, you know, a, how many claims you have scheduled in from all different sources. But uh-huh. going with what you mentioned, like, you know what you're doing, you're involved in the business and whatnot. You're getting claims from multiple different sources. You might have, so, so you'll go out 30 minutes from your house. Okay. Then you go to that first claim. You know what you're doing. You're in and out of that place. It's, it's a silly water spot on a ceiling and a wall. You're in and out of there less than 30 minutes. Let's just assume 30 minutes. So you're at an hour dedicated to it. All right. Um, if you know what you're doing, you'll have a, an estimate, a photo report, and a written report done for that thing up in about 30 minutes, so, You know, maybe less. But let's call it an hour. You've got two hours of dedicated time to that thing to that single claim. All right. Now let's assume that you're crazy. All right. (laughs) And you understand that you do that. That takes you about two hours. So you know that throughout the course of the day, you could bang out about six or eight of those. All right. So let's say seven, you do, let's, let's, let's say, let's keep it at a nice, calm eight hour workday, which I don't do. But that's four a day, all right? Let's even keep it to five days a week so you could sit in your backyard on the weekend, all right? That's 20 claims a week, 52 weeks out of the year. That's just over 1,000. That's calm. That's, that, that works out to what? At 250 a claim, that works out to 260. That's with the weekends yourself. That's clocking in and clocking out, doing your nine-to-five sort of business. But if you're crazy like me, man, you're doing, you're doing seven of those you know, in a single day, you know, you're, so, you're, you're so, doing me. There's one who's 10, 15. Okay. So, so, so yeah, if you're a hard worker, you know what you're doing. Okay. But, but here's the question. What if, what if the wind doesn't blow it? What if we don't have get that big storm? What if it's a really yeah. calm year? What, what, what does that look like for you then? It's, it's, uh, I'll tell you, uh, that's a, that's a big question because that's, that's what divides the, the catastrophe side from the daily side. With a, uh, okay. adjusted figures, what I push on to everybody, and un- un- understanding that not every geographical area is the same. Um, okay. I, I'm, in, I'm in New Jersey. I'm smack dab in the middle of Philadelphia and New York City. So I'm surrounded by other people. Um, if, you're some, if you're someone that wants to get involved in adjusting and you're somewhere in rural Nebraska, it, it might not be the same. But... I push daily adjusting. Daily adjusting is just going out, your water heater busted, your pipe's leaking, stuff like that. Maybe you do get a storm throughout the year, uh, you know, a couple throughout the year, one or two. But my, my job, aside from looking at those water spots, my job is to maintain business. That's the first. That's, okay. that, that's, my, that's my CEO job of, the, uh, uh, of my adjusting business. And in order... For my that to be successful, I need to have a solid, a, a solid network of claims companies and insurance companies that will keep me making at least that quarter a million a year strictly off of leaking pipes and frozen stuff like that. Now and and I, but I, then, I, 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 I'm stuck. Quarter of a million bucks. That's incredible. Nick, you know what? Let me tell you, let, let, let me go into uh, how I got I- I involved in this, because uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty good story. So I, I got involved in insurance. It's, it's a story that I love to tell just because of the way it starts. I started at a bar. I met a guy at a bar. I was actually, at that point, I was living here in New Jersey. I was prepared. I was on a bit of a uh, sabbatical. I was living in Florida prior to that, and I had a few things happen in my life that kind of deterred me from where I wanted to go. And I was back in, back in Jersey, getting ready to go back to Florida. 
I had a small construction company. Um, just did really odd jobs and stuff like that. I had a two-man crew and did that during the day. And at night, I was a bartender manager and manager at a uh, hotel in Princeton, New Jersey. All right. And I had been bartender for years and years prior to that. So, you know, you get used to the kind of bar crowd. And this was at, this particular place was at a hotel. So we had a lot of business people coming in. And I've, you grow used to hearing all the stories from guys coming in. You know, some of them will blow out how much money they make and stuff like that. So you just kind of like, you know, brush it off your shoulders, keep, keep doing what you're doing. And we had a, a storm come through at a, at a certain point. Uh, it was uh, Irene, Hurricane Irene hit New Jersey. So we had a kind of an influx of people coming in because of the storm. And some of those people were independent insurance adjusters. So these guys coming in, they, they come to the, you know, they, they'd adjust claims all day long, you know, you know, busting their butts and then hitting the bar late at, you know, at night. And there I am. And they're, they're, they know the money that they're making. So a lot of these guys were just throwing down and, you know, we, we had some crazy nights. And so, and the, these guys would, would be there for several, were, were there for several days uh, working that storm. So after several days of coming to the bar, you, you get to, you get to know each other and, and, and you get to, you know, establish that trust that we, that we talked about. And one guy, uh, won't forget him. His name was, his name was Ron. He started leveling with me and he said, Hey man, you know, you, you know how to do, you know, about construction, you have a good grip on customer service. You know, you should, you should look into independent adjusting and, you know, just like everything else. I think I had like the week before that, I had somebody with a, a, like a, a far, pharma rep try to tell me that I should be, you know, look into becoming a, a farm rep. But, uh, you know, he said, you should look into it. You make a lot of money doing it. I'm like, yeah, man, yeah, sure, sure. I got you. I got you. And so I kind of shrugged it off, and then I think that uh, that guy ended up going away. And then I met another guy who was coming to the bar. His name was Jamie. Jamie went to Clemson. He was an engineer, and and he had the same discussion with me. He said, "Man, you should really look into this. Let me introduce you to my manager, and you guys could talk about it. But just a heads up, he doesn't like talking about it." <laughs> and I thought that was uh, the most awkward way. You can set up an interview, and it really wasn't an interview, but regardless, I ended up talking to this other, this other gentleman. I, I, I don't remember his name, and, I, and I, all I could remember is that he was a bit standoffish about talking to me about the industry, and I didn't understand why. It wasn't until somewhat recently that I, I began to understand why. But after that talk, I said, you know what? What, what, am, what do I got going for me right now? Optimistically, I, w- I was in a point where I'd been involved in, I wasn't going anywhere with my construction company. I was involved in the service industry for years and years. That's the only place I seemed to be great, gaining any ground. And optimistically, if I continued to do what I was doing, climbing up the hospitality ranks in five, you know, five to 10 years time, I might be some sort of manager, supervisor, you know, a, a higher up manager, maybe making 50, 60 a year. That was my long-term projection at that point. And, and I wasn't so happy with that. I, I didn't like the way that sounded. So I said, why don't I look into this independent things thing? But it didn't take long Googling it to figure out that it, 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 it was it was definitely fact. I mean, they're, they're, I started doing a Google search and started reading up on all these people talking about how these catastrophe adjusters go out on a storm and can make a hundred grand and just off a single storm over like two months, two, three months. And then they, they, they work a storm and then they don't work throughout the rest of the whole year. And I thought, man, that's, that's, that's amazing. You know, I, I'm going to look into this. And I just, I became, I began to get obsessive over the whole thing like we were talking about before began obsessing over it. I'm, I'm reading all these articles. I'm learning everything there is about this industry that I knew nothing about. And, and it became particularly tough because then I would try to, you try to talk to somebody, you know, about it, you know, you try to talk to, you know, a loved one, somebody else like, Hey, I think I found something. This thing sounds great. And they're like, well, you know, it, you know what they say about things that sound too good to be true. They're usually not. And then, 
you know, you get, you find those naysayers, but you know, I just, I became, I became stubborn uh, over the whole thing. I, I and I just it, continued to. Well, I, I find it really interesting that independent adjust, adjusting apparently is like fight club. Rule number one is we don't talk about it. <laughs> anyway. It's a shame. Yeah. It, 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 it really is, but, but you know what, I'll, 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 get, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that, why I think that is, but so, after the, so Irene hit in August of 2011, right? By December 2011, I was taking a course to be licensed in the state of Texas, which is the, it's a very weird licensing uh, process for, to, for independent adjusting. You don't need a license in the state of New Jersey, but you still should have a license. So it looks like you're competent, but if you want to go out handling storms, you need to get one in a state that's reciprocal, but that's a whole different podcast. But, um, by, by, um, December, I was taking a course by the following March, 2012, I was licensed by that following August. I was out on my first deployment in this, in, uh, Louisiana. And by October, we had a storm hit Jersey. Um, it got a little bit of a news place. It was Sandy hit Jersey. And, and, uh, and, and I knew when that storm was coming in, when I, I remember watching the storm develop, or at least on, you know, Noah, you know, watching the graphs on it develop off the Horn of Africa and, and coming in. And I knew, like, this, this could be it. If this somehow hits Jersey... Or, or somewhere close, even if it doesn't hit Jersey, this is my chance to really break in to, to the, the field adjustment industry. And, and, and it, hit, and it, it, it hit Jersey, as we all know. And, and that's, what, that's what started the journey slash obsessiveness of getting involved in insurance claims. And then but what I did after that, I knew by net, from networking and everything like that, that a lot of other guys in this field talk a lot about feast and famine. They talk a lot about finding that supplemental income when there are no storms, right? And, and that scared me. That, that, that's what introduced risk to this entire, uh, to this entire career choice. And I, I didn't like that. I wanted to mitigate that risk. So after the storm hit, I start, I, I found a firm that was stupid enough to give me some claims. I had no experience at all. I had no idea what I was doing because of a lack of, of quality education for, for this type of career. And you just kind of learn as you go. All, all the other independent, every independent insurance adjuster will tell you it's a, it's a, it's a learn as you go career, which is, which is fantastic because it's, it's the only career that I know of that will pay you big bucks to learn how to do it. So, as I started accepting these claims from this one firm, all I had was fear. I had fear that once this dries up, once this one firm dries up with their claims, that's it. I'm done. I'm back behind the bar. I'm back, you know, working on a roof. And I just, I, I couldn't have that. So I just immediately, just like a business, I started, I started putting, I started thinking how I was a business. I was, I was, I was thinking that what, what, what would a company on the S&P do right now? I got to find more clients. I got to just start hammering. I need to spend an equal amount of time closing these claims as I do finding future business. And then I found a second firm, a second adjustment company that was willing to give me more work. And then I, I still, I was still, I still had all that fear. I found a third one and a fourth one. Next thing I know, a year later, I'm, I'm denying work. I'm overwhelmed. I'm making more money than I ever did before. And I'm gaining confidence in myself and my abilities as a business person. And, and, and that's what, you know, compound that over, uh, over a few years time. And that's, that's what kind of brought me to that LinkedIn, uh, biography right there, you know, and, and I owe it to the, uh, as unsexy as the insurance industry is, I owe it to insur the insurance industry. You owe and, and to mother nature. And some other nature, yeah, yeah. that too. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, what's funny is, uh, that, uh, we've, you've come, uh, you know, 180 degrees from where you started and it's such a good, happy outcome for you. And that doesn't usually happen to any story where you start 
it started at a bar. You really never get a happy outcome <laughs> yeah. from that. So that's that's fantastic that you were able to do that. Um, th- this has been great. Uh, I want to transition to a couple other questions before we go to rank the risk. And uh, we will absolutely right. have you on again because I want to get into some of the more technical details of starting an adjustment practice. So getting a little bit more into your adjusting to six figures site. Um, and I think we can do that on a future podcast, but, um, absolutely. You are, you are handling a lot of stuff right now. So what, uh, you must, you must need to stay organized. So what are your favorite organizational and productivity tools that you're using today? Oh, Oh shoot, man. I mean, um, right now it's, it's so crazy between still handling some claims myself, but trying to focus most of my attention on adjusting the six figures. You know, I, um, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not that techie of a guy. Um, so dealing with an online business, basically it's, it's been so, so new to me. There's so many, there's so many new things that I'm not used to. I'm still learning all of the, you know, best, best apps and whatnot to use, man. If I, but if I had to put, and this is a little cliche. If I had to put one, pick one productivity app or a productivity tactic, it would be the Calm app on your phone. And, and it's just a simple meditation app, man. I do that in the morning, and, and I, I do it most mornings. Do a little bit, at least 30 minutes of meditation in the morning. And I can tell in myself the days I do and the days I don't. You know, the days I don't, I'm much more scatterbrained. You know, the, the, day, the days I don't, I'm a little bit more overwhelmed. doesn't matter how much stuff I have. But the days that I do, man, you could throw a million things at me that day. I, I'm, I'm just going to take it, and I, I'm going to throw them right back at you, you know, without breaking a sweat. Yeah. That's, a, that, that's the biggest thing. It, it, that's coincidental and, because I've been, uh, I've been really focused on that as well, uh, trying to find 30 seconds to a minute to just sit quietly and try to let all of my, what I perceive to be my daily problems melt away so I can focus on the day. So we'll put the calm app and a link to it in the show notes. Uh, I I think I interrupted you. I think you were going into another one. Oh man. I mean, even, even aside from that, it's, it's living a healthy lifestyle, which is something I'm not used to. (laughs) I just recently started doing it, you know, cause like I was, like I was saying, after I, you know, after that, after Sandy hit, man, and I, and I just started running with this thing, you know, it was, I, I kind of blocked a lot of other stuff out in the, during the course of that, I also ended up having a couple kids as well. So, you know, it ended up being a very, all I'm concentrating on at that point are my, is my family, you, you know, taking care of them, you know, financially and, and the working aspect of it. Those are the only two things I was looking at at all times, right? Got it. Got so it. 2013 came, you know, I worked harder than I ever worked in my life. 2014, I doubled that, you know, so after a while, you know, I started my, you know, my health is deteriorate. You know, your health begins to deteriorate. You're getting fatter, you know, you, you, yeah. you, you're yeah. suffering a little bit more from burnout and, and that translates to your day-to-day life. Your productivity takes a dump. You don't, it's, it's tough for you to see it, but it's there. Completely. So, but having that healthy lifestyle, man, being able to have that come on because you did meditation, you know, you woke up at four o'clock in the morning. That's what I do. Wake up at four o'clock in the morning and, and, and you're, and you're huffing and puffing by five, you know, being able to do that just puts you in the right mindset so that don't get overwhelmed. Other than that, man, Zapier.com. It's amazing. Zapier man. and all these in, integrations that that website yeah, had. Yep, yep. It's insane to me. You know, um, I have not necessarily um, applied that to uh, adjusting claims. I could see how it could have some benefits to it as well. But holy smokes, man, there's so much you can do off, off that. And if I give you one more tactic, this is a tactic that I tell everybody uh, that I train. If you get to the point where you're handling these, these um, high, you know, a hot volume of claims, do you get paid – if you're me, right, you get paid off closing that claim. That's it. You don't get paid doing your laundry. 
you don't get paid mowing your lawn. You know, you don't get paid doing your taxes. I mean, you get money after you do your taxes, but you don't actually get paid to file your taxes. There are other people willing to do that. Even if, even when it comes to doing stuff online, personal stuff online, you have a, a, if you have a child, if you have a son or daughter, you're having a, a party, you need to put together stuff for the party, that's very time-consuming. You don't get paid for that. You're spending money for that. You don't get paid for that, all right? There are people online, both domestic and, and, and international, you know, especially international people, you can hire a, a virtual assistant to handle a lot of that stuff, that the tedious day-to-day stuff so, that keeps you from doing Jeremy, what you really love to do. So you have, yeah. of course, read the, the four-hour work week, right? <laughs> yeah, that's where I, that's where I got that oh, from, okay. yep. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. You're preaching, you're preaching, yeah. so it's making sure you, you read it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. But by the way, I think that the, that the next piece of, of, uh, of adjusting to six figures, I think it'll be called adjusting, uh, adjusting Zen or adjusting to Zen. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. All right, me and you. I, I, I will go ahead and find that domain today. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll be <laughs> of the first year at, at commission. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that there would be a great business in, in helping the adjusters, not only once you got them making money, helping them stay up there, right? Helping them stay yeah. home, stay uh, in, a, in a good mental place so, so they can continue doing that without burning out. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and just to go back real quick, because I say this every single time I ever talk about, you know, even loosely about the money that I make, and uh, and insurance adjusting, the potential's huge, all right? The potential is massive, especially if you're a person who doesn't have a college degree and struggled in high school, all right? The the potential behind this industry is massive. And just like you speak about in, or wrote about in in Insurance Tomorrow, the the workforce is in need, you know? There's not only a constant struggle, struggle, for these claims companies to find somebody to adjust the claim to go inspect their house somewhere, but it's even harder to find a person that can do that and provide a quality product. Now, with that said, getting to those higher numbers, getting to that 400, especially the 400, but even getting to breaking three, even breaking two, even breaking 200,000 in a year, it doesn't come easy. It's, it's not something that you're going to be able to that that a person can do and not have any sacrifices in their life it's it's very high stress it's going to be an incredibly high stress journey it's going to be you're going to have peaks i mean it's peaks and valleys like anything else it's but it's i can't press upon it anymore to just let the listening audience understand that those figures it's 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 not an easy job those figures don't come easy you know, a hundred, but, but what I will say is 100,000, even, even up to 100,000, it's that in, in this field, it, it's pretty easy, and that's amazing to me. That's a, that's a good message, Jeremy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, we are going to transition over to this part of the show. I think now our audience knows Uh-oh. what specifically this means. Um, <laughs> now, do you guys know what week we're just finishing up? Let me give you a hint. Uh, Let me give you a hint. Shark Week? Is it Shark Week? We're just ah. finishing up Shark Week. Now, uh, by the time this goes live, uh, our audience will know uh, that I've recorded two podcasts in a single week. So we just... Uh, in the middle of the week, we just finished recording with Alan Egbert of uh, Ask Kodiak, and I asked him some shark questions. And I figure since uh, we are still, I think, technically in Shark Week, I'm going to say we are. Uh, that's what we're going to run rank the risk on this week. I'm going to ask you different questions than I asked Alan. I'm actually going to ask you just one question, but it's still going to be a shark-related question. Um, just because there's so much, st- so many statistics on this that I uh, I can't pass these up. So, uh, Jeremy, how this works is I'm going to ask you and Tony one question um, where I'm going to give you four different options, and I'm going to ask each of you to 
rank the risk, and in this particular case, rank the odds of death from four different options. Oh, gosh. Yes, a little morbid, but uh, that we are talking about profiles and risk, so uh, you know things things are risky in life. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> I'm going to give you four different options, and I'm going to ask each of you to rank the risk, um, the the probability of death from most likely to least likely. Jeremy, are okay. you ready? Let's do this. Okay, Tony, are you ready? Going down, Redding. Okay, so let's get ready to. <laughs> um, okay, uh, here are the here are the four options. From what is the most likely cause of death between uh, these four? Please rank them, Jeremy. Uh, number one, uh, dying from lightning. Number two, uh, death by train crash. Number three, death by fireworks. And number four, death by shark attack. So lightning. This is in the U.S. This right? is in the U.S., yes. Uh, we are very okay. xenophobic. Uh, these are actually old statistics. It's like 2003, but the numbers are so spread out that I'm, I feel pretty confident that they've probably held. Uh, so lightning, train crash, fireworks, shark attack. Uh, Jeremy, you I think this might be the hardest question we've ever had in Break the Risk. Really? That is tough. Well, yeah. it's it's a fun one, anyways, uh, and I will give you the probabilities of those. So, Jeremy, you're the guest. Out of those four, uh, train crash, fireworks, lightning, shark attack, which one is most likely to happen? Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to say that the least likely. Would definitely have would have to be in the U.S. Shark attack. I'm going to go shark attack is the least likely. After that, I believe that um, fireworks probably cause more injuries than they do deaths. So I, number three, fireworks. Then number two, I would give that to lightning strikes. And and for the number one, I'm going to go, I'm actually going to go train crash, just because I just had a conversation with a train conductor the other day who all he wanted to tell me was about how many people died because they parked their car on train tracks, and it was astonishing <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, so you, you went least likely shark attack. Least likely shark attack. And yeah. then most likely train crash. Correct. Okay. Tony, your turn. Okay. I, I think Jeremy's going to beat me. Uh, now that he said his, he had good reasoning. Uh, I had number one most dangerous uh, fireworks, number two train crashes, number three lightning, and we do agree on the shark being the number four. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. There you go. Shark attack, least likely. Um, and it's, it's, All right. it's not even close. So uh, out of those four, the most likely is lightning. So uh, ah. that, that goes to show you, like, light, lightning is very rare. It's about, in the U.S., it's about 1 in 80,000. Oh, wow. So it's very rare. Uh, second is train crash, which is about 1 in 150,000. Third is fireworks, oh, wow. which is about Fire 1 yeah. in 340,000. And and wow. I think the, the reason why, it, I mean, it is Shark Week, so... Uh, you know, that's, uh, it's, it's a fitting theme, but it just goes to show you, we spent so much time, you know, if you, if you read the news, you'll see every single shark attack is just really hyped up, um, to to no end. Uh, shark attack is the least likely and the odds. So I said the odds for number three were fireworks, one in 340,000. Uh, the odds of a shark attack are more than 10 times less likely. It's one in yeah. three point seven million. That's to me. That's amazing. You know, yeah, sharks. Yeah, not, not so bad. So I, I, I'm a scuba diver, and uh, I, I can tell you that that uh, ju- ju- just like like uh, like in the movie uh, Fifty First Date, the the the, uh, the comic relief character says <laughs> sharks are are like puppies. They they only bite if you touch their private parts. 
Sharks don't care about humans. They don't. They don't like humans. Clearly, clearly. Uh, Okay, well, Jeremy, thanks for playing Rank the Risk. Thanks for being a good sport and being such a motivational and inspirational figure on, um, you know, in the insurance industry, but just in life in general. Uh, It's a, it's really a a heart lifting story that you have to tell. I mean, uh, it all started in a bar. And look where you are now. So, yeah, that's right. So uh, thanks for being are, are on, doing, on Profiles and Risk. And Tony, thanks are, for being. Are we doing Happy no. Pride? Are we doing Happy and Proud? Clearly you're not listening to Profiles and Risk because that, that piece <laughs> belongs in a different podcast. So I, uh, I my suggestion to you is to listen to the entire podcast from now on uh, before you post okay. them. Uh, no, that, that's, together, that's for totally. a different. That's for a different podcast. The, this one's going to be all oh, risk oriented. Okay. My guest this week has been Jeremy Riddig of uh, adjusting to six figures and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for being on Profiles and Risk, and Tony, thanks for hosting with me. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks so much.